All it takes is a click to listen to RTI online. Get exercise for your finger and exercise for your mind at english.rti.org.tw. This is Radio Taiwan International. Thanks so much for joining us today. Up ahead this hour, it's Lights, Camera, Asia, and In the Spotlight. But first, we bring you a very special edition of Here in Taiwan. All right, everyone, welcome to Here in Taiwan. Today is Thursday, January 23rd. We're on the final countdown to the Lunar New Year. I'm John Van Trieste, and joining me today on uh, this edition of Here in Taiwan, we have got... I'm Shirley Lin. And I'm Paula Chow. Today we're going to be telling you about preparations for New Year's and what we do on New Year's Eve. And uh, boy, have we got a lot to get done, actually. Just thinking about it makes me a bit dizzy. <laughs> Stick around. That'll all be up in just a moment. All right, everyone. Are we pumped up for New Year's? Yes, I know I am. Today is the day. It's not New Year's yet. We're, no. we're just getting in the spirit of things. This is the day that is traditionally called Xiao Nian Ye. Now, what does that mean? The day before uh, New Year's Eve. So Chinese New Year's Eve. <laughs> right. it's, it's kind of cute. Like uh, in the West, we have New Year's Eve. Here we have New Year's Eve Eve. Eve. <laughs> right. Um, right. But that's, you know, people by this point really need to have their stuff together. If not, they're maybe in a bit of trouble. What are some things that people are doing today as they, on this New Year's Eve Eve? Uh, cooking up a big feast. Already? That's, but that's that's yeah. tomorrow. Oh, oh, on New Year's Eve. Well, Eve, I mean, Eve. yeah, my, my, my mother-in-law, she would be like, you know, buying all the stuff that she needs. So she, shopping? Yeah, she already sent my husband off to shop for stuff that she needs for New Year's Eve dinner. I understand she has so. quite a spread, so that must be quite a shopping list. Right. Um, and what else, well, Paula, what do you usually do on Xiao Nian Ye? Um, Xiao Nian Ye, I think we will just, you know, we, we have to do a lot of cleaning. That's my family usually do to do right. a thorough, you know, spring cleaning before uh, New Year arrives. I'm not sure if we've mentioned this on this program before yet, this New Year season, but we do talk about this every year. So I guess we here we go again. Um, it is important to get all your cleaning done before the New Year, especially sweeping and that sort of stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. You I've, don't want to sweep your good luck away. I know. So uh, after the new, new year, new year. Yes. so sweep whatever's left of the last year's luck out, and then leave room for the new. Don't right. don't go don't clean beforehand. So yeah, you want everything to be nice and fresh, especially if you're going to be welcoming guests over. Um, but you need to take care of that early. I'm not into that cleaning myself. I'm not you traditional. Just let, it, you just let it stagnate. Yeah, I mean, I try to make sure that my house is neat. You know, not necessarily like I don't really enjoy doing housework in the first place. Mm. So I don't really make it a big deal about cleaning out. You know, before the Chinese New Year's. So that's my thing. Yeah. But, um, but you know, actually, maybe not cooking up in a big feast, but, you know, there is a lot of preparation ahead. Right. Food-wise. Tonight is so, preparation night. Yeah, you know, marinating all the things you need or whatever, chopping up. Yeah. There's a lot of chopping up, you know, Chinese <laughs> food, right? Some of this stuff takes a lot of advanced preparation, actually. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, the, you know, the New Year's Eve is actually when the big feast is. Although people continue to eat for days and days afterwards. But the real big family gathering is, is tomorrow night. So this New Year's Eve Eve is for preparation. 
With that being said, uh, what are you guys going to do tomorrow on when the real New Year's Eve arrives? The, the Eve Eve is over and it's just the Eve. Right. Well, to have a family um, get together, that's the most important thing. This is called Wei Lu, which means Lu, gathering right. around the hearth. Mm, yeah. Right. Which yeah. I, there's very rarely a hearth, especially in a warm place like Taiwan, but you get the image. Mm. Usually it's people gathering around a boiling pot of some kind, I think. <laughs> uh, what sorts of things are on your menus for this year? Have you planned something yet? Uh, I haven't pan- uh, I, ha- I haven't planned anything because I'm going to my husband's, you know, um, spend New Year's Eve with my um, husband's uh, family. Oh, you're off the hook. Yeah. Right. Are you involved in the cooking at all? Or? Nope, not at all. But I'll do the dishes. Oh, that's your so, job. Okay. Oh, right. well, so it's here. no such thing as a free New Year's right. Eve dinner. Right. Well, same here. I do the dishes most of the time because my mother-in-law is an ex- excellent cook. Mm. And she's a very fast cook, too. So, you know, by the time I get to her house, she's all pretty much done. So I do make sure that I do the, you know, the, the dishwashing and all that. Right. But of course, I get my daughters in on that, too, and my son on that job. So it's not always on me. Teamwork. Because my kids are older now, right? right. They can also share the chores. Yeah, they can help yeah. out. They got right. all that money and those, all those red envelopes <laughs> for all those years. Now it's their turn to give back. Right. right? Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. It is one red envelopes. shame about most Taiwanese homes is that we aren't dishwasher people here in Taiwan. That's not really a thing. I um, do have a dishwasher, but I hardly ever use it. Okay, uh, it's out actually on our um, balcony because right. I don't have a space in my little kitchen. So it's definitely unlike homes in some other places where uh, it's sort of a standard appliance. Not really. So everything is pretty much done by hand. A lot of dishes, but uh, you know the other side of things is you get a lot of feasting. Mm. So what sorts of things do you normally eat then if you're not involved in the cooking? Yeah, you've got to have some auspicious dishes. Mm-hmm. That's like a must, you know, on Chinese New Year's Eve. And I'm, my mother and I pretty traditional about this. So you can be sure there's fish because it means abundance. That's a must Chinese. have. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, there would be a chicken, either a chicken soup or a whole chicken. You know, there's got to be some kind of meat. And oh, she's ordered uh, Buddha jump over the wall. Which yes. is a very uh, rich, very important dish. It's stew. like a, a stew. Yeah, it's almost like a stew. And it's got a whole lot of stuff in there. Let's say, name it off. I mean, there's scallops, there are taro blocks, there are spare ribs. That's probably the big one. There's uh, mushrooms. Eggs of some kind, right? Yeah, pigeon eggs, I and think. They're the smaller ones. Cooked in almost like a. A uh, fancy flower vase. It kind of looks like a flower vase almost. Uh, yeah. There's a very special serving urn for this type mm. of dish. Well, my mother-in-law tried to make uh, one herself one time. We, she actually went and got one of these big pots, mm-hmm. you know, and she had, she steamed it. It's a complicated so dish. The point, the, the, the thing was, the complicated thing was getting it out of the steaming, you know, the steamer. Oh. Yeah. You'll burn yourself. I, exactly. It's hot porcelain. You know, yeah. And, you know. Did you and, broke it? No, no, I did not. You but need the tongs. thing is that I know I couldn't do it with tongs. It's so heavy. It's like a blacksmith tongs. Stuff inside. <laughs> so I, I just put on these um, you know, oven gloves mm-hmm. as best as I could and try to take it out slowly, carefully. Man. I mean, that was hard work. Yeah. It's a complicated yeah. dish. And so I think that a lot of people actually, that's one thing that they'll order out or get specialists to take care of. But the rest, a lot of times, is home-cooked. Right. Paula, actually, you probably know this brand of um, Buddha Jump Over the Wall. It's called Lao Xie Zhen. Oh, it's pretty famous. Mm. Well, it costs a lot. Oh, really? Right. Okay, well, we ordered one of those this time, so... We, uh, I guess my mother-in-law made sure that we had the best. So I guess you guys are kind of lucky. You get home-cooked meals. I've been to a few Chinese New Year's Eve suppers, um, and most of them, honestly, were uh, everything was outsourced to someone else because just of time and 
you know, it's sort of, there are companies that will like prepare the whole, a whole multi-course menu for you if you just pay them. I know that uh, some convenience stores put out catalogs of these things probably a month or two in advance. Yeah. You mean like order takeout and no, just bring home no, and heat up? They are festive yeah. dishes. Okay. It's not yeah. like, it's not like carry out, you know, these are yeah. Buddha jumps over a wall and all the fixings, but right. um, basically all you have to do is put it in the oven. Everything yeah. else is pre-cooked for you. And that saves a lot of hassle. Um, I know a lot of people do that too these days. Yeah. They don't bother with their own <laughs> cooking and chopping and all that. So. I think we did that once with my mother-in-law, you know, to give her a break. Mm. Um, but, you know, after trying out anything, she would just say, obviously, and my father-in-law would chime in and say that, oh, my wife's cooking is still the best. So, yeah. you know, the, next, the following year, we'll always go back to her cooking. You okay. Know? And there was a time when we went out for dinner. And again, my husband thought to give my mother-in-law a break. We went for um, hot pot. Mm-hmm. And um, and and again, it was well. She didn't think it was that inexpensive. So like you know, <laughs> forget it. Let's have my home cooking the next year. You know right. that kind of thing. Well, yeah. So you've named Buddha jumps over a wall. Obviously, we've oh, got right. fish, the essential mm-hmm. fish, and chicken. What else is on? What's on your menu, Paula? What else? Uh, I think my family uh, we would um, prepare a sea cucumber dish. Oh, fancy! Well, oh. Sea cucumbers are extremely expensive. Like one sea cucumber costs um i think 30 us dollars wow for one dish wow. i think you need um seven or eight sea cucumbers wow well, because that's my parents favorite so <laughs> oh. you know that's what we usually do of course there's a fish dish and other well lots of goodies mm. lots of goodies that we have more than enough right right um another thing that's common i see a lot of shrimp Yes, or prawns. Well, actually my mother-in-law serves a prawn a um, prawn for each person dumplings now that's an interesting oh, that's one, a, right. yeah. Because I, I always imagine that as sort of the typical New Year's dish, but I've actually never seen them served at a Taiwanese table. Maybe it's people who are of Northern Chinese descent mm-hmm. oh, do that yeah, more right. that they would. But some people eat dumplings on New Year's Day. Oh, that may right, be why. At noon, oh, right? That, first... That's different. You depending on. I mean, because my first New, New Year's, my first couple of New Year's dinners here, I was like, "Where are the dumplings?" I'd always read that that would be served, and in mm-hmm. Taiwan, not always. Yeah. Uh, um, it, I guess it depends on where your family's background is. Right. Um, uh, here we have a lot more, like you said, taro or sort of more subtropical things in mm-hmm. our diet. So, yeah, you can expect to see a lot of that sort of thing. Uh, there's fruit, nuts. Huge yeah. Oh, yeah. Dishes and dishes of traditional candies. Mm-hmm. Uh, people have been shopping for a long time for these, haven't they? There are these traditional mm. markets these time, times of year with pistachios, um, all kinds of goodies, everything you could ever want. This is the only time of the year that I get to have watermelon seeds because it's very time-consuming. You know, <laughs> breaking the, the the you know the the shell and other kind of. That's about the only time I eat it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, a lot of these dishes are pretty seasonal. I would say. I mean, obviously, fish you can have any time of year, but Buddha jumps over a wall. I, sea cucumber, we have that at our RTI banquet, I think. Um, we oh, almost and, never eat them at any other time of year. Yeah, and mullet roll. Oh, you know yes. that's an another that's... expensive dish, and it's only oh, eaten yeah. once a year in my family. It's <laughs> see, that's also only available seasonally, I think. Yeah, I it's, guess it's fish eggs that are pressed and processed, or I think maybe even then, salted. They're yes. dried in the sun, and right. they form sort of cakes. Mm-hmm. They're chewy. You grill them. Um, you know, you know on a, over a slow fire, and then you have it with sliced um, raw turnip stri- uh, strips, right? And um, scallion, 
That's the typical way typical of doing it. Typical way of eating it. Um, not to everyone's taste. They definitely have a distinctive flavor that I don't know everyone would like. It's hard to explain. So you, do you like it? I like it. Oh, it, I love it. It does remind me a bit of the wax on cheese rinds, though. Have okay. you ever got a kind of cheese with like a wax uh, on the wine? I know what you mean. It yeah. kind of has a, that kind of a flavor to it when you accidentally. <laughs> <laughs> so it's an acquired taste, I mm-hmm. think, for some people. But uh, yeah. Lots of good eating. Well, we're going to take a really quick break here for some festive music. When we come back, we'll be telling you about what we do after dinner. That was a very famous and, I think, representative New Year's song about the god of wealth coming to your house. Uh, it's one of those songs, a little bit like Christmas music. They start like a month early, and you get sick of them really fast. I know. Like <laughs> but in, they're everywhere. I know. In supermarkets and yes. department stores, they play it all the time. Especially because they want you to like be fe- feel festive and buy lots of stuff for feast, right. feasting that yeah. you don't necessarily need. But anyway, um, so that's a very common song this time of year. Uh so after dinner, what do you guys usually do? Uh, I know that uh, surely your mother-in-law is Christian, so I'm especially interested if she does this because I've seen it happen everywhere, which is worshiping the ancestors. Oh, no, we don't do that. No? Yeah. But um, one thing, though, is that when my kids were younger, um, it's, it's, it's a big deal. It's like they, you know, um, they, they get the red envelopes oh. filled with cash from the in-laws. And, um, you know, it was really cute back then. They would put these cushions on, on the floor. They'll kneel in front of my in-laws, all three of them. And they hand out, you know, hands out and they'll be handed the red <laughs> envelopes. That was when they were younger. Mm. Not now, but uh, actually now it's the opposite because my, both my daughters are working. So they got income. Mm-hmm. So they start giving, you know, just little, um, not, not a lot, but, you know, just some red envelope filled with cash back to the grandmother and grandfather. Right. It is an interesting thing that you see sometimes in Taiwan is uh, uh, children also giving money to their parents. It's not just a one-way street. Eventually, you end up paying it back, maybe even with interest. Who knows? (laughs) Um, So, yeah, um, before dinner, usually, in a lot of households, uh, some of the food will first be offered to the ancestors. They'll light incense. It depends. Um, They may also light some spirit money out front in one of those little pails, uh, mm-hmm. And that'll burn and has a very distinctive smoky smell. Uh, but then, like you've seen this. Oh, yeah. Yourself. Pretty okay. much every year, that's what okay. happens. At least where I was. Yeah. And uh, then, so the gods and the ancestors are satisfied. The kids are satisfied. Mm-hmm. Now, in your household, is there a rule about they have to give a special New Year's greeting before they can get their red envelopes? Yeah. When they were little, they were taught to say, you know, like, um, Gong xi fa cai. See, where I was, uh, where I've been seeing kids getting red envelopes, um, they have to not only do that, but it's a contest to see how many of these greetings that they can put uh, out there. Oh. Every year has one or a couple. Years like the rat year, which we're in now, we're getting into now, uh, is really hard because there's almost no good ones or commonly know. known ones. <laughs> Everything is negative. Some years are, yeah, yeah, rats are just, there's nothing good to really say right. about them, I guess, in Chinese. Not even one? Not huh? even one. So, wow. I, you know, so the I kids are going to have a real hard time this year. Right. Um, uh. Uh, I, the monkey was another one that stumped them. 
There was oh. no good ones. To, but anyway, <laughs> usually they're phrases that are lucky. They have lucky sounds, lucky meanings, and they incorporate the animal of the year's name in it. Mm, um, that is And right. they can't get their red envelopes until they've said as many as they can think of. Oh. Um, well, uh, I guess my in-laws got it easy with my kids. Right. They just say, which means Happy New Year. And, That's so easy. You know, and, Everyone and, says that. And get rich. And then the other one is Hong Bao Na Lai. Hand me my red envelope. That's a bit like trick or treat, smell my <laughs> feet. little kids. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, what about uh, entertainment? Do you guys play games or watch TV? That's a, watch pretty much TV. what everyone does. <laughs> sometimes we watch TV, sometimes we also play, some, you know, throw dice. Um, throw dice. Really? Yeah. Oh. Right. And then what happens? Like, is it the game called Chui Nyong? No. Not Chui It's just throw dice. You just and throw then, them and see where right. they land. So okay. who has the bigger number? Oh, right. Okay. Lots of people play mahjong. Mm-hmm. Not at most places I've spent New Year's though, because a lot of times people gamble, and it's not people. A lot of my friends don't feel like it's gambling is really in the New Year spirit. You know, yeah. people, someone mm-hmm. loses money and they're unhappy, and so they tend to stick to like board games or uh, uh, little games of chance with small prizes yeah like there's one where they have like little sort of almost lotto tickets and you take turns around in a circle pulling them off the board and some of them have little cash prizes or like oh you get a candy you know so everyone gets something um what about to tv this time of year i find to be pretty dismal though yeah the programs are the same ones you know and um um usually these like um singing programs oh, and goodness. Um, you know going up to the you know, i have to say line. this is one thing where we really do need to learn from the other side of the street because they have an extravaganza and we kind of have some little party games with people who definitely just don't seem interested. Like they were contractually obliged to be there. And they're like, right. let's, here's a line. Oh, when I lift my left hand, everyone has to jump to the left. Like that kind of thing. It gets really because tedious very most fast. Most of the big celebrities, they end up going to the other side of straight, right? They got and all the good talent. There. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, it's, well, it's always only in the background, but no one's ever really paying that much attention. I know. And in my mind, I'm thinking like, I should be, we should be more chatting with my, you know, yeah. in-laws instead of watching the TV. everyone's on their phones yeah and then you know the kids are there on their phone so but the thing is that it's kind of hard to you don't know how to um, kick up a conversation with your in-laws it's hard because it's already talked over dinner and there's a generation gap too like (laughs) it's not like your kids are going to be like so how are your portfolios doing these days oh my third quarter earnings were tremendous you know um, I it, can see where that where that could be a challenge, especially with right. teenagers. <laughs> well, you know how it is with uh, young people when they come home. I mean, they drag, uh, dread the fact that they will ask, you know, oh, do you have a boyfriend, do you have a girlfriend? Then when you're getting married. Uh, when you're getting married. Then you know, when you're when having, you're having kids. kids. Then when you're having another kid. Right. And all sorts of things that people... Um, I've seen lots of online guides to how to deflect these questions, actually, tactfully. But oh, yeah, good. a lot of people do, do dread this time of year because... Everyone asks the same set of about three or four questions. And because you only see them once a year, you know, if they live abroad. Like yeah, my daughter but still, lives it's like none of your business. <laughs> <So> <laughs> anyway, yeah. uh, what do you guys do? Do you stay up till midnight generally? Oh, we try. Yeah. I usually do that. And are yeah, you like fireworks type of yeah, people or firecrackers? firecrackers at midnight. You do. Wow. Really? When I was young. Okay. No oh. more. Oh, no more. Uh, all right. No more. It's noisy. It's like a war zone. It's crazy. Uh, but that's New Year's. That's if we, You know, sometimes I get annoyed about the noise at 3 in the morning, but then 
then think, again, it's the, you know, I tell myself, yeah, why not? <laughs> why not? Let loose. Right. All right. Well, we're one day closer. We're getting there. And first day will be Saturday. So uh, happy New Year's Eve, Eve, everyone. <laughs> For here in Taiwan, I'm John Van Trieste. I'm Shirley Lin. And I'm Paula Chow. Stick around, because coming up next, it's Lights, Camera, Asia, and In the Spotlight. Lights, camera, Asia. A look at Asian culture and history through the lens of cinema. Hello and welcome to Lights, Camera, Asia. I'm Jake Chen. In the last few episodes, we've been covering a movie called Outrage. It is a film that presents a relatively honest view of the nature of Yakuza, Japan's most powerful and enigmatic gang that is notorious for its legal dealings and violent nature. Now that we have gone over the film's plot, it is time to take a look at why the film is significant and representative of this particular culture from which it takes its inspiration. The first and arguably the most important is the level of authenticity that a film presents throughout the plot. Now, we went through the stories in the last two episodes, but obviously we didn't have time to cover every nook and cranny of the movie. But let's take a look at a few of those moments uh, when outrage truly shines and elevates itself above the rest. In one sequence close to halfway point of the film, the head of the Otomo gang is inside a police station and talking to the chief of the precinct. The director presents this sequence with a brilliant parallel editing. And by parallel editing, I mean he presents two concurrent short sequences that is ongoing, and we see the process of the two sequences back and forth. The first is Otomo speaking to the police chief inside the station, the conversation begins with the chief playing his bad cop routine, yelling right at Otomo's face, calling him all kinds of disparaging and degrading names. At one point, he becomes so furious that he can't seem to control himself, as he gets up and starts kicking things around right in front of Otomo. It is at this moment that the film cuts to outside a police station, a member in Otomo's gang is seen waiting outside the entrance. He slouches on a stone rest in a rather unelegant manner, so much so that when a mother leaves the station with her daughter, she immediately recognizes him as a possible gangster, and in fear, she pulls her daughter to the other direction. Not that the man himself would care. In fact, 
He doesn't even care about the fact that he's lounging right in front of a police officer who stands guards in front of the entrance. The officer is fully dressed in police uniform and has a very serious and solemn look on his face. But when a gangster looks at him in a clearly taunting manner, the officer stands still and does not do a thing. This is a clear display of the delicate power balance, or rather power imbalance, between the police and the Yakuza. While the police, represented by this well-dressed officer, seems to have the authority in public places, the Yakuza is the one that wields real influence. At this moment, the camera cuts back into the room to further drive home the point. After the other officers leave the room, the police chief immediately gathers himself and changes his attitude and bows to Otomo to apologize for the little act that he has to put on. Clearly, all the yelling and kicking that he did is to pretend that he's a righteous and powerful man in front of other police officers. Behind closed doors, however, he clearly understands his place. He is a man who works in the police station while serving the Yakuza in exchange for some truce in his district. And despite the police chief's apologies, which is clearly sincere, Otomo still humiliates him by punching him several times. Now, let me just reiterate that we are talking about physically assaulting a police officer inside a police station. Now, you could argue that this is a fictional film and that this sequence is presented to add to the drama. But even with that in mind, the power of this sequence is undeniable. It represents how a facade of power displayed by the police can be so fragile and so far away from the truth, and how the concept of truth commonly expected and accepted by the public can be so fleeting. The table turn in a split second. A Yakuza gang member reveals its true devastating power on a members of quote-unquote authority. And in that split second, the truth is shaken and everything changes. This rather cold-hearted portrayal of the alarmingly blurry line between the organized crimes and the organized law enforcement is what separates this movie from the rest. See, much like westerns and war movies, movies in the gangster genre, especially that from Japan, capitalizes on the rather violent nature of the culture in which it is based. Therefore, the violence is often portrayed on screen in a glorified manner. Filmmakers have often shoehorned in side plots such as romances and brotherhood to make gang members look like heroes that people can root for, can aspire to and trust, and even support and relate to. Very few have portrayed gang members for who they really are, criminals who ruthlessly rob, steal, kill, and threaten others to gain power and control. In Outrage, not a single gang member has any meaningful relationship with women. They either see their wives and partners as secondary beings at best, or they spend time with women in adult entertainment industry for the sake of, well, entertainment and very little else. 
The very highly cherished concept of loyalty and brotherhood is also challenged in this movie. Right from the start, the movie shows how one gangster can plot against others, and even against those who have sworn to be his brothers, and all that just for personal gain. In fact, as we have seen in the last episode, the second half of the movie is filled with twists and turns where one underboss kills another. Right after they had just worked together not too long ago, this aspect of the movie, which challenges the dominant view that gang members are somehow men with honor and loyalty, who strictly follow a certain code of conduct, falls in line with the essence of gang movies from other cultures as well. The saying that an American gangster movie shows the dark side of the American dream. Is just as true when we look at Japanese gangster flicks. A true gangster movie like this one, in my opinion, shows the dark side of the Japanese society. See, when we look at the positive side with all the glitz and glamour and all the glossy modernism, Japan is a beautiful and welcoming place. And for the most part, I'm pretty sure it is when we look at it from an outsider's point of view. But as with a lot of countries and cultures, if one has inhabited like an actual Japanese citizen, as in someone who lives in the society for years and decades, who understands the underpinnings that keep everything together, I suspect one would know that Yakuza plays such a big part in the Japanese economy that it is difficult to oversee just how influential they really are. And how little power the so-called police and authority really have, and not to mention the nature of yakuza is anything but honorable. These are men who, grouped together, choose not to make an honest living. They choose to resort to every means that you can associate with organized crimes to gain an edge in terms of finance and control in society. So in the end, the film managed to display all the ruthlessness, all the violent and extremely radical behaviors that engage in amidst their illegal dealings, and the film managed to do all that without trying to glorify or trying to lionize the central figures, because the film presents them as who they actually are. These are immoral men who, at the very core, do not obey any rules or any quote-unquote code of honor. Because what they chase ultimately is power and control, and in order to achieve the highest level of power and control, they'd backstab, shoot, kill, slice, cut any of their so-called brothers at a drop of a hat, which many many characters in this film have done. And I think at the end, that is why the film is titled Outrage. Everyone in the film is in a state of extreme anger, and they all believe they deserve to be in a certain level of power and control. And their behavior, what they do to achieve that level of power and control, is nothing short of outrageous. It is not something that average people like you and I would ever fathom of doing. Yet this happens on a very, very frequent basis in the film. With all that being said. It doesn't take away from the fact that the film is beautifully shot, and I mean the cinematography of the movie really is very beautiful, and the soundtrack that was composed for the film really helped to sell the tense, the life-threatening atmosphere that happens around the corner. 
So I certainly hope the subject matter haven't turned many of you away, and that you could somehow stomach a lot of the blood and the gory detail, because when we strip the film of this facade, what we see is a story that is well told, that is well written, well acted, and most important of all, that is as authentic as a gangster film can be, to reflecting the reality of the world in which it is based. Thank you for listening to this episode and to this mini series of Lights Camera Asia, and I hope this gives you a pretty good idea of what a high-level Japanese gangster film looks like. I'm Jake Chan, and this concludes our mini series on Outrage. In the next episode, we'll start a whole new mini series on a whole new film, and I look forward to talk to you then. Ryan and Ellen Chu as they sample their way through Taiwan's culinary delights. Andrew, I thought we said no more intestines. <clears throat> That's on Feast Meets West every Saturday, only on Radio Taiwan International, radio for refined palates. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. Jun Wakabayashi is an analyst at AppWorks.、Uh, that's one word. His father is Japanese and his mom is Taiwanese, but he was born in the U.S. In college, he majored in finance. And AppWorks is actually both a venture capital firm and a startup accelerator founded and based in Taiwan. His job requires him to fly around a lot. Anyway, his work really entails more than what an analyst does. So today he will expand on what else he does at AppWorks. We do have the traditional analyst、uh, type of jobs or responsibilities that doing market research,、uh, due diligence, and also understanding whether or not a deal is going to be feasible or not. So there is that component in my job as well. But、oh. yes, I agree that the analyst term is、uh, very broad. Yeah, it's too broad. How old is the oldest person at at works?、Um, I, I got it, a it, feeling it's that you're all very young. No, actually, it's、uh, it, it's a huge range, right? So the specialists are typically a little bit older because. Uh, effectively, what、well, we we call them masters, so、uh, they're <laughs>、really? a master in their field, right?、Really? So usually they come from、uh, a much more、uh, extended background when it comes to professional experiences. So they're、uh, a little bit on the older side. Are they the founders of AppWorks?、Uh, so the main founder is、um, a guy named Jamie Lin.、Mm-hmm. Um, he 
I think he's what, maybe 41, 42 years old now, but okay. he's also uh, the CEO of Taiwan Mobile, Taiwan Dagada, uh, the second largest telecom company in Taiwan at the moment. Uh, oh. So he runs concurrently both as the CEO of Taiwan Mobile as well as general partner of AppWorks, general partner and chairman. Right, so you things mentioned uh, things outside of work. Uh, well, number one, traveling is a huge part of my life. Um, but that has to do with work. No, not really, actually. Oh. So I do a lot of uh, leisure travel as well. I mean, anytime I mix uh, work travel or have work travel, I usually try to mix in leisure travel as well. So I mentioned to you before that I've now lived and worked in seven different countries outside the U.S. and Taiwan. That was primarily due to my last job. Uh, but when I was living in those countries, I, anytime I had free time, I took the opportunity to travel. So now I've been to upwards of about 50 countries, I would say. Talk about some of the countries that have made an impression on you and why. I think Turkey has a very, very special place in my heart. It is one of the very first countries that I got sent to in my last job. Uh, we were based out of Istanbul for about three months. Oh. And it was just the, the perfect mix between being lost in translation, but also with the hint of familiarity. So if you look at the geographical location of Turkey, it's uh, at the crossroads of both Europe and Asia. So you see hints of both regions incorporate into the country and every facet of our life has it that and uh, istanbul in and of itself is just a magnificent city um it has a lot of historical significance as well just because um, in the middle you have a, a, a river and it's basically perched on three different mountaintops so from a military standpoint it was very very strategic back in the day it was called constantinople but consequently Every single restaurant building has a rooftop on it. So you get a fantastic view of mm. uh, the entire, entire city. Mm. And just the people were incredibly nice and warm. And the country in of, us, of itself was very, very beautiful as well. I'm a huge nature lover. Mm. It's a popular destination lately. You know, Taiwan's been promoting it. Turkey, you know, the Istanbul, yeah, those kind of places. Yeah, I actually have sure. some family and friends that just got back from there. Yeah. yeah, all right. Well, you know, we broadcast in, what, 10 foreign languages from the radio <laughs> station. You've been to all those 10 places, it, it, I would guess. Vietnam, Thailand, Philippines. Yep. Yep. Uh, sorry, we're not Philippines. What am I talking about? Indonesia. Indonesia, yes. You have. Yep. Yep. Japan, you yep. have been. And uh, Russia? Russia? Russia, I've only gone through a layover, unfortunately. So I love to go oh. there to explore. I was going to uh, ask how, what you think about Russia. Okay. <laughs> well, what about um, Spain? I mean, got... Spain. Actually, my last company was based in Spain. So uh, I did pass through there quite often. I was uh, based out of Madrid, actually. So uh, I did pass through the city very often. I've also been to Barcelona, Salamanca. Uh, and uh, Segovia and Sevilla. All right. Okay. What about um, France? France, I've been to as well. Yep. Right. Sure. Germany. Yep. Oh wow! Look at yeah, you. Checked off the list. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, what do you think about Taiwan? In every aspect, I think it has everything going for it, but no one knows about it. It's it's very still. Sad. Yeah, you know, especially, you know, from a work standpoint, when we go out and try to educate founders on what's going on in Taiwan, a lot of them are actually very pleasantly surprised, right? Yeah. It's a developed country uh, mm -hmm. with a sound rule of law. Uh, from a work standpoint, it's a huge market. Um, consumers have been shopping online for the better half of two decades now, right? With the advent of PC Home in the late 1990s. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a sizable population as well uh, uh, at 23.5 million people, which is the same size as Australia. Mm -hmm. uh, from a GDP standpoint, it's a little bit over $600 billion. 
Uh, I remember that twenty three point five million. It's the same size as Australia. Yeah, population. Right? Wow, it's crazy. <laughs> But you know, we're so much smaller in size. Yeah, <laughs> okay. correct. Geographically, exactly.、Uh, infrastructure is there. People are incredibly nice here.、Uh, I was just telling telling you before、um, that I just got back from China, and once you go to China, you kind of realize that wow, it really makes you appreciate everything you have here. In Taiwan, whether it's the civility, whether it's the weather, whether it's the air, the infrastructure,、uh, access to Google and Facebook, these things that we take for granted,、uh, everything's here. And there's a reason why、uh, Taiwan was rated as one of the top destinations in the world for expats as well.、Mm, yeah, you're right. right. Yeah, yeah. That, by international survey, recent survey, right, right. right. Oh, so on that note,、uh, uh, so、yeah. I, I think it's a little bit sad. So that's why we characterize、uh, Taiwan as、uh, the Wakanda of Asia. I don't know if you've seen Black Panther before, but Wakanda <laughs> is like this, you know, yes, this secret, high,、yeah. super high tech nation、uh, that's hidden away from the world, but with so much technology and so much to share to the world, right?、Mm. And so it's sort of, like I said, my job, both professionally and personally, to make people know that hey, Taiwan's a fantastic place、uh, to be, to work, live, and and grow yourself. You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. What's it like working with Taiwanese people? I think Taiwanese people are one of the hardest workers in the world, and they're, they're very, very conscientious people with a very, very high degree of work ethic. So that, in and of itself, is I think is、uh, really, really、uh, important、um, in terms of、uh, having them on your team. It's fantastic. Sometimes、uh, Taiwanese people can be a little bit rigid. I guess in the way that they approach work,、uh, but I think that's more of a function of the education system that they grew up in, which、oh, focuses much more on rote memorization,、yes. external validation. So,、uh, you know, we talked about it before. Being able to question and being able to ask why is one of the most important things that you can do. Honestly, if I were to have a billboard on the side of the road, I would. The one thing I write on it is ask more questions. That's the one thing. <laughs> Interesting. Because、like, by asking questions and adopting more childlike curiosity, you learn so much more about yourself. You learn more about others and and the world around you. And、mm. I don't think people do that enough here in Taiwan. Yeah, but I think that's changing, right? Because um, you know, I mean, I do come across some news stories where certain schools are, you know, experimenting with、um, just not having teachers lecture so much, but、mm-hmm. having kids, you know, use their brains and try to be creative and or using different ways to to even conduct a class or、mm-hmm. something like that.、Mm-hmm. So I think that's changing. I mean, back you know, almost twenty nine years, yeah, but you know, just slowly, but it is changing, which I'm glad to see. And also, people like you coming back from having been educated abroad and willing to come back to Taiwan, contribute、yeah. to Taiwan. I agree.、Um, international experiences, or at least from my standpoint, has been incredibly、uh, transformative for me. It's a it's a very humbling experience when you live abroad, especially in more、uh, developing type of markets where. You don't have all the luxuries that were typically afforded to you in places like、uh, the U.S., where everything is already established for you. Right? U.S. is one of the most developed countries on, on the planet right now, and you know, at the click of a button, you can get a ride home from your work.、Um, on your way home from work, you can look at the news, look at a movie, and right when you arrive home, you can have、uh, delivery already at your doorsteps. Oh, I you know? know. Yes. In、uh, emerging type of countries, they don't have any of that.、Oh, But the great thing、yeah. is that technology is now having、um, some pretty material effects on how people go about living their daily lives.、Mm. Um, 
So if I give Southeast Asia, for example, about 10 years ago, that's when Grab, which is basically the Uber version uh, in Southeast Asia, that's when they first started uh, in Southeast Asia. And now everyone uses Grab in mm-hmm. Southeast Asia, right? Uh, but for Taiwanese, uh, it's the same same concept, right? Going to live abroad and it helps you really expand your mental model, uh, your understanding of how people different from you live their lives, right? It really expands your perspective and way of thinking, which is incredibly valuable. But touching upon uh, what you just mentioned before, uh, two points of clarification. Number one, I, I guess I'm actually a little bit different than uh, most of the returnees that you might come across, mainly because <laughs> I actually did not... Uh, I, I did not live in Taiwan ever, uh, so I was All simply right, born and raised in the U.S. But yeah. I did visit Taiwan every now and then. So I'm not sure if you can really classify me as a returnee. <laughs> but let's, for all intents and purposes, yes, let's yes, say I'm a returnee. Yes. You know, my mom, my mom lives here now. I entire know. extended side of the family also lives here. Right. right? Uh, but the other thing is that the trend that you mentioned before—it's very interesting. Um, people, uh, my parents, um, uh, and a, a lot of people in their generation, they they sacrifice tooth and nail to immigrate to uh, more developed countries like the U.S. to give their children a better future. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing thing is now you're starting to see uh, this trend of reverse migration, where a lot of their children are now foregoing their cushy, uh, stable corporate jobs in the U.S. and actually coming back to Asia to uh-huh. find a job and. Uh, to develop their careers here, which is uh, kind of mind blowing for a lot of these parents. Like, come on, we we gave up so much for you to have a better future. And now you're going back to the countries that we left, right? That's how it was with my dad. Yes. Right. Exactly. But uh, I would urge these parents to change your perspective a little bit. If you, my generation, especially the millennial generation, were fueled by passion and purpose and meaning, uh, in more emerging regions like Asia, there's actually so much more of an opportunity to make an impact, right? So is that why? Why these people are coming back is because they see that Asia is an opportunity, it's emerging, and and it's just full of you know opportunities and and I don't know uh, startups and ventures and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, so that's what yeah. it is, huh? I, I would say that that has a big part in it, but other than that, there's also just ethnic belonging, this uh, sense of national pride, being able to bring back what they. Uh, were able to accumulate in terms of experiences, in terms of tactics and playbooks and network in the U.S. or Western countries, and bring it back into uh, their home countries and diffuse it to people around them. So um, it's actually one of the biggest trends in Southeast Asia right now. We call sea turtles returning home. Uh, right? These are people in Chinese Haigui. Yes. These are typically locals who studied abroad, really went to or work for or went to a Western university and worked for Western companies, really picked up a lot of experience there, and then came back to help diffuse that experience around them. Yeah. So if you look at um, some of the most valuable companies and startups in this region, in Southeast Asia there's around eleven to twelve unicorns. Those are companies that are valued over a billion dollars. 90% of them were started by sea turtles, uh-huh. actually, right? Yeah. Uh, China went through a very similar phenomenon uh, in the early days when the economy was still expanding. And now you're starting to see a very similar trend happen in both Southeast Asia as well as Taiwan. I see that happening too still. What does your future bring? What are you <laughs> thinking? And what are your, you're, you're still young. You've still got a lot ahead of you. Yeah, what's your big, bigger picture? Other than just an analyst, no, I don't mean that. Yeah, no, <laughs> other than I, I know analyst at AppWorks, you know, I, I think I'm very fortunate to be working for a company that allows me to experiment and uh, understand what's around me and 
quote unquote find myself, if you if you will. Uh, it, essentially, it's a playground. Uh, my company is great. Um, I'm very fortunate to have that sort of support. The longer I stay at Apex, the the more I come into tune with you know what my superpower is and sort of what my place in the world is. When I try to think about what's in it for me in the future, I typically tend to think of this one framework. Just imagine like three intersecting circles, right? One circle is、uh, the market. One circle is the passion, and one circle and skill set. Uh-huh. Right? So you want to try to find the intersection of these three circles, and that is sort of the role that you should be taking moving forward. If you find the intersection of all three things, that's that's your ideal. That's your bread and butter. Right there. Wow! Right. Very nice. So right now, for sure, my job currently aligns in all three circles.、Uh-huh. Uh, but for passion, I think I could probably dig a little bit deeper, and that comes back down to what my quote unquote superpower is.、Uh, this is the thing that I do ten x better than anyone else does, just naturally, and、uh, that would be empathy. Actually, my ability to connect、uh, and relate to others and quote unquote surrogate, put myself in their shoes.、Mm-hmm. Um, it's exactly what has allowed me to excel at my job of. Building relationships with people around Southeast Asia—it's exactly what allowed me to excel at my previous job when I interviewed over 300 executives and CEOs and heads of state. Right. Because、uh, I can put myself in their shoes and really understand what they're going through, and it's what really gets me going to understand their stories. Very similar to what you do here、yes. at RTI, right? Just、uh, learning about people's stories and their experiences. Thank you so much, Jun. It's been really a lot of fun talking to you, and good luck with everything you're pursuing. Thank you so much, Shirley. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In Southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kilohertz. Again, that's in Southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kilohertz. And in Southeast Asia, from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kilohertz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kilohertz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to PO Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's PO Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me/radiotaiwaninternational. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me/radiotaiwaninternational for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.